It is uh, it's always good to be able to worship the Lord, and it's uh, <clears throat> a great morning to be here as well that we've all made it here safely. Um, it was a very fun drive from Claremore uh, here, and uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy mornings like this. I feel like a cowboy or something, you know, heading out. Let's see, let's get into some adventures here a little bit. You know, got Gabe his uh, hot chocolate, and I had my coffee, and we're acting like we're, you know, going to look for some longhorns or something. And, uh, but we made it here safe, you know, no great adventures. And we continue our study in the book of Acts this morning. Um, so if you have your word, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 27 this morning. But last week we took a look at um, the idea of, of that the gospel does something. And what we saw was that, 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 that Paul was standing in front of King Agrippa and he was, he was giving his testimony. And part of his testimony we saw was that Jesus Christ humbled him before he would serve him. Uh, and, and, and there's this beauty in that, that we see this. But also Paul said, Jesus, Jesus said something to me. Jesus said something to me. He says, I have appointed you to go do something. And, that was, and part of that was to go preach to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and what he said was, I'm going to send you there so that their eyes might be opened. And so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. And so this was the message that, that, that really um, Paul was to go preach to the Gentiles. And so we talked about that. When we preach, we, we preach with the hope that there will be conversions. We don't, we don't just want people to hear the message that we preach and say, oh, that was nice. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that with me. We are literally preaching to see people saved. We are preaching to see people converted through the preaching of the world because we believe that that is part of what God has chosen to do in bringing about the salvation of mankind. And we said that when we see gospel seeing, there's, there's a couple of things that go into gospel seeing. One is, is that we can see our sins. That's not the fun part, <laughs> but it is absolutely necessary. There is no one who puts their faith in Christ who has not repented. You have to repent before you can trust in Christ. And when we say repent, it literally means have a change of mind, have a change of affections, have a change of commitments. And so you can't be an enemy of God, loving and holding on to your sin, and at the same time, have faith in Christ. You have to, you have to divorce yourself from your past life. That doesn't mean we come to Christ only after we've cleaned up and repented, as in turned away and given up and stopped doing any sin that we ever had done before and all sins have been forsaken. That's not the point. The point is, is the gospel enables us to see our sins. And that doesn't just mean we see it and we note them and say, oh, great, those are in my life. I never knew they were there. That isn't the point. The point is to recognize them, identify them, and say, Jesus Christ, here I stand guilty before you because of these things. These, came, these things are offensive, but also I'm in need of salvation. Um, and, and, and we repent in that we say we look to no one but Jesus for salvation, recognizing that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's the other part of the beautiful message of the gospel. The gospel is that it enables us to see our sins, but it also enables us to see Christ as our Savior. So it doesn't just leave us there hopeless as sinners, but it also gives us the hope that there's something that can be done about it. 
And that is the purpose of Jesus Christ coming, as we see in Scripture uh, in 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul is saying, here's a worthy, trustworthy saying. It's, it's, it's something should be honored and, and held close to your heart, basically. It says that Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So this is the gospel message. And that was what we saw Paul preach to King Agrippa. And basically they said, hey, do you want to go to, uh, back to the Jews and have them hear your case? Or do you want to go to Rome? And so he said he wanted to go to Rome. So here we are today. We're going to take a look at this journey because it's a little bit of an interesting ride uh, to get to Rome. And, and the message today is titled Shipwrecked because that's what we're going to see is going to happen here. In, in, but we're going to also um, look at a couple of principles um, that I think are important uh, for us to glean from this narrative. Um, you know, namely, God's sovereign providence uh, and that we can trust him. And, and, and we can trust God even when things are looking very bad. We can trust God even when uh, we have no idea how all of this is going to turn out. Um, and, and we're going to have a theme today that I want to have in your hearts and your minds um, is that we we cut the ropes of anything that may potentially save us. We, we divorce ourselves from anything that may potentially save us except for Jesus Christ. So the major doctrine I want to defend this morning is that God alone is worthy of our trust and obedience, for he alone will save. If you remember nothing else, remember that. God alone is worthy of our trust and obedience, for he alone will save. And when we're talking about this, we must have in front of us also that the reality of our suffering can be great and long. I think sometimes it's easy for us as Christians to, to look at other Christians or even look at our own life and try to dismiss the suffering, to say that our suffering isn't that great. And I don't think that that's very helpful. It's definitely not that helpful when you're, you're trying to uh, empathize with, with someone else who is struggling. To just say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Because really, suffering can be great and suffering can be long. And that's okay. That's okay to admit that. It's okay to recognize that. That doesn't mean we've lost hope if we say that. That doesn't mean we're sissies or some pansies because we recognize that we're in suffering. It's okay to recognize suffering in our life. Um, but our response to that uh, is in order. And actually next week, we will talk about that. We will make sense of suffering next week. But this week sets us up to talk through God's providence, even in the reality of suffering that can be great and long. So we're going to make three steps this morning. We're going to take a look at men and mother nature. We're going to take a look at this concept of what to do when salvation delays. And then we're going to finalize our sermon here and, and take a look at the heart of trust. So if you will stand with me and we'll begin to read our scripture. We are in Acts 27. Uh, we will be reading from 13 to 44. So they've already set out to sea here, heading towards Rome, uh, and this storm comes upon them, and this is where we begin. It says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down the land, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it, and were, driving, were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to uh, undergrid the ship. Then, fearing that they would run along on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. 
when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred uh, this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only if the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run into the rocks, they let down their anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes and tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. So it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So this is a, a very dramatic scene here that Paul finds himself in this, this shipwreck. Uh, and, and what had happened was that they had set sail, and Paul had before said, hey, look, like, let's not do this. It's kind of not a bad, it's not a not really good time. It's kind of bad timing for us to set sail. And they're like, who, who is this guy? <laughs> He's not like a professional sailor or something. So they headed on and did what they were uh, planning to do. And then this great storm came upon them. Um, but it's such a beautiful image here that, that Paul was along for the ride. But what we have to look at is I think that there is this concept um, that, that danger or, or suffering can come from many different sources. And, and two of them that I want to deal with a little bit this morning is men and mother nature. You know, I think it's interesting here that, that Paul faces two distinct dangers. One of them was the storm, um, but the other was man. And so you see here in verse 18 through 20... Uh, that, that this, this is the, the nature side. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. 
So he's, he's specifically speaking to the, the danger from Mother Nature, that they're all looking at this and thinking, this is it. We are going to die. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of, it's funny, but it's not funny. But look at this when he says uh, that our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. What type of salvation is he talking about here? He's not talking about a spiritual salvation. He's not talking about, um, hope someone comes and preaches to us so that we might get saved. He was literally talking about we are going to die. This storm is going to drown all of us. And so in our own lives, we have to look at this as not unlike Paul's situation, that there are dangers that come from without, such as Mother Nature. There are things that, that bring about suffering in our lives um, that are completely out of our control. And, 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 I, and I think this is something for us to, to look at and, and, and view appropriately. You know, and how, how fitting is it that this morning, as the winds of winter blow right outside right now, um, does, does any of us have control of that? No. Can any of us go out there and say, all right, that's enough. We get it. Cool it down, right? It, it is completely out of our control. Yet it poses a danger to us. And this is not unlike the situation that Paul found himself in here on this ship, way out there. I mean, miles and miles and miles away from shore. And, and they're looking around and like, there's no hope. There's no way that we're going to be saved. And you remember that this is the days before you could radio in, mayday, mayday, right? Hey, here's our GPS coordinates. Come find us. I mean, literally, there is no hope. The danger is coming from two places. One, the storm. And we'll talk about the other idea in just a second uh, that the other danger comes from man. But look at this. Um, without God's protection, uh, th that Paul would be lost along with all of the others. Now, God's man is Paul here. And it's beautiful to think through that sometimes even evil men may benefit when God saves his servant. Um, I, I don't know what would have happened to these folks if Paul wasn't there. But I am inclined to believe if Paul wasn't on board, they probably all would have died. It seems to be the purposes of God is to preserve his servant. To send him on so that he would go and stand before Caesar. And this is just a side note, but this is a truth that we see throughout scriptures that evil men may benefit when God saves his servant. Um, and you know, how many times have you seen somebody uh, who comes to the Lord and the people who know that person then come to the Lord as well just by relationship and hearing their testimony? Um, that's, that's possible. That's possible that God would choose to save other people who are dead in their sins, who are by nature evil, when he saves someone else. And so we see this, but here in this context, I believe that God's mercy is going to be shown to all these other um, people who are not necessarily followers of God or Christians, but they would be saved. Why? Because God had a plan of saving his chosen servant, the one he appointed. And so we see that, but the first thing is, is that from without, there is a danger, and there is a threat, and Paul has absolutely no control. And just like us today, there's all sorts of very real forms of hardships that are outside of our control. Um, but the other danger, as we see here in verse 42, is, is that this is coming from the Romans, from the, from the soldiers, because they conspired to kill the prisoners. Do you see that? They're thinking, man, if they get off the ship and swim, they're going to get away. So might as well, let's, 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 let's kill them now. So Paul is sitting here, uh, and, and he would have he been defenseless unless God protected him. Paul isn't going to stand up and be like, all right, who wants it first? 
Paul's going to, these guys are trained killers, not going to fare well, unarmed Paul, stand up against these folks. So here's the storm raging, looking to drown them. Here's the Romans are saying, lest any of them get away, let's go ahead and kill them all. So you've got two forms of danger here. And if God does not save Paul from both of them, Paul is dead. Like literally, game over, no more lives. <laughs> but what we see is the beauty is that God sees it fit to preserve him. And, 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 and the Roman soldiers here um, end up not going through with their plan. Why? Because they wanted to save Paul. <laughs> the centurion wanted to save Paul. We don't know really all the whole story there. But literally it says that. He said he wanted to spare Paul, so he told him not to. So it's interesting if you look at this. I'm not trying to read into this text, but I think, I think there's something here. That the storm would have killed all of these people, yet God says, I'm going to save Paul. Paul, you're going to go and do something. So there, everyone else who's with him is saved. The Romans would have killed all of the prisoners if Paul wasn't there. The centurion wanted to save Paul. Do you see this? These two very specific instances where the people around Paul benefited from his own, let's just say, good fortune. We think it's God's providence, but that's what literally is happening here. All right, but this is, this is interesting for us um, to look at and that we too can have the same favor of God. Uh, and, and I'm not going to unpack that whole idea here, but it's just a beautiful side note to look at. But what we have to look at is that as long as we live, living in this fallen world, there will always be threats from men and from Mother Nature. And I want to put it on the screen. In these times, our faith and obedience will be tested. I don't know what was going on in Paul's mind when this is all happening. He may very well have had plenty of time to sit there on this, on this ship that's being thrown all over the place. And he may very well have said, you know what? If it's my time, it's my time. He may have said that. Now, the Lord appeared to him and said, no, you're going to go on. But we don't know exactly where this happened. I think that there was probably a couple of days of, uh, this is not looking good. Hey, I've had a good life up until now. I think that's certainly possible. And we have to realize that that, that, that may be something we've got to just note is that as long as we are alive, there's going to be threats from Mother Nature and from men. And in these times, our faith and obedience will be tested. And so I ask you this morning, what do you need to be saved from? Paul needed to be saved from two things, from the storm and from the soldiers. Those were Paul's immediate threats, and God ended up saving him. So ask yourself, what do I need to be saved from? And I would expand that question to the greater question of maybe you need to be saved from the wrath of God. That's certainly possible. Because if you are not found in Christ, you are an enemy of God. And I don't think you want to stay an enemy of God. That fight won't go well for you. Because literally the scripture says that Jesus Christ is coming. And he's going to slay all those who oppose him. And that's hard. We like to think of Jesus as Jesus is nice and he has no, no, no judgment to bring. But he does. And so we only have two options. Either we are in Christ or we are found as enemies of Christ. So you may need to be saved from God himself. That's literally the heart of the gospel, is you are not saved from some bad things that may happen in this world, like a tornado, an earthquake, a fire, or even from the bad guys out there. Those are all things that can destroy your body. But what did Jesus say? He says, don't fear man. They can kill you, but fear God, who can destroy both your body and your soul. 
you and me, we have to look at that reality. It's certainly possible that we need to be saved from what? From the wrath of God. But Paul here is not talking about that, but you, you have to ask yourself that question. What do I need to be saved from today? I want to look at this idea here when salvation delays, um, because I think it's possible, um, just as in the case of Paul, that we may live in that for a little while, right? So it says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was lost. Verse 20, imagine being in, in this darkness, just tossed around on this ship violently, and the ship's being torn apart all around you. You can hear the wood breaking. You, hear, you see the water everywhere. And you're looking up to the sky, looking, you know, hoping to see some light somewhere, but all you see is darkness and storm. Have you ever stood uh, at a window and, and, and looked out uh, and, and watching it rain, and you're kind of like trying to detect, is it letting up? Maybe you got a baseball game later that day, and you're hoping that it's, it's planning on letting up. And you're trying to detect any sense or any sign of it letting up, but it doesn't seem to. It just seems to just getting worse and worse and worse. I think that's what these guys were literally in. They're like, they're like, where is any sign of hope? Is there any, is there any sign that this thing is going to get better? But no, it says literally in verse 20, when the neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days. This wasn't over in a couple of hours. You know, sometimes we can say, you know what, if the, if, if the storm that comes my way um, isn't too long, I can probably handle it. But here is an example of salvation delaying. There was no salvation that came quickly. So they had to sit there in this. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like roller coasters or any of those types of things. Um, you know, some people are like, how can you do the things you do on a motorcycle and not, you know, I'm like, no, I get super motion sick. Um, and some of the most traumatic, you know, images in my mind is being stuck on one of those things. Have you ever been on one and gotten sick during it? And what do you, I mean, you're like yelling, someone stop this thing. No, I don't care about you. You're on. You signed up for it. You're going to, you know, you saddle this horse, you will ride it. But how many of you can relate to that, that feeling of, being sick or maybe you're on an airplane and you just you just want this thing to land let this thing be over but it doesn't come salvation doesn't come your misery continues have you ever been sick and you just you're just praying for this thing to leave you and salvation doesn't come and, and, and we see that that's possible and we have to understand what what do we do what's our response when salvation delays and so I want to ask you, you know, the first question I ask is, what do you need to be saved from today? But how long have you, been, have, how long have you prayed for salvation? Because sometimes when God doesn't answer our prayers quickly, we start to give up on him. And we start to think, you know, maybe you don't even hear me, Lord. And we need to deal with that. And I think that's a good test is, is, is of our spiritual maturity. What do we do when God does not answer our prayers? Do you get mad at God? Do you start making deals with God? What do you do? That's a good sign of your spiritual maturity is to look at your response when God doesn't answer your prayers, either quick enough or the way that you would like for him to answer them. But what we have to look at is that there is a, a serious way in which we have to recognize salvation may delay. 
Um, and, and in our suffering and trials in life, um, I, I think that they're no different than that, than that idea of, of the roller coaster ride or the airplane that just won't stop. Um, we wish for it all to be over soon, but you know what? It's completely out of our control. And, and I, and I want to put this on the screen. So we are driven to admit that our power is small and our ability to truly be in control is at best an illusion. Paul, in this, was he in control? Was he able to say, okay, storm, like Jesus did, be quiet, be still? No, he doesn't have that power. Was he able to say to the, to the Roman soldiers, I'd like to see you try to kill me? No, he was not in control of this situation. And we, too, have to recognize that our power is small and our ability to truly be in control is at best an illusion. So when salvation delays, remind yourself of that truth. You are not in control. And we need someone from without to help us. So I want you to have this in your mind. Salvation delays and the storm continues. We continue to be worn down, losing strength, all the more only serving to increase our dependence upon salvation that must come from without. So when salvation delays, let it drive you further and further into the truth that you are not able to save yourself. Don't take the delay as God saying, I don't love you. Don't take the delay as an opportunity to get mad at God. Take the delay to remind yourself of how weak and how out of control you actually are and how much you depend on a salvation that would come from without. That's a good practice. Remind yourself that in this, my weakness is very clear. And that's not offensive to God. Actually, it's good. It is good to stand before God and say, I need you. God is glorified in, his depend in our dependence upon him. It's actually offensive to God for us to say, God, you know what? If you just give me a little nudge in the right direction, I got it from here, bud. God is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, God delights in his creatures depending upon him. So when the, when the salvation is needed desperately and when salvation delays, think about this. That this is not unlike every other thing in my life, primarily my spiritual condition. That I am in need of salvation and I can't save myself. I am in need of someone outside coming to rescue me. And, and, and this is... This is something that's got to be at the heart of our gospel message. We don't preach the gospel to people saying, hey, you look like a pretty smart person who's got most of your life together. Just add a little Jesus. How many times do we preach the gospel as if it's some life-enhancing thing? I can remember learning, you know, different evangelism methods and people teaching me, and, and you, you kind of want to beef up your testimony. You want to say, man, how bad was your life before Jesus? That way, after Jesus, you can say, oh, what are all the good things that God has done for me? So you want to say, okay, here's how it looks. You know, I was very, very poor. I was very, very sick. I was very, very unpopular. And then Jesus, and I was rich, and I was healthy, and I was famous. See? See what? Jesus could do that for you too. But it's completely missing the gospel. The gospel is not that Jesus Christ saves us so that we would have nice things or happiness or riches here. 
he saves us from the wrath of God. Like, that's the message. And, and if you're saying, oh, I need to add a little Jesus to my already pretty good life, you're completely missing it. Because what Jesus literally says is, come pick up this instrument of death and carry it around. May that be the mark of a true disciple who says, everything else I count as lost besides being found in Jesus Christ, being known by him. That's the message of Paul. So we have to look at this and know this and recognize this. This is something we have to hold to and preach. I love in verse 29, they let down the anchors and prayed for day to come. So I said when salvation delays, use that opportunity to remind yourself that you are very weak and out of control and you depend on salvation that must come from without. But two, don't lose hope. Keep looking for day to come. Look for day to come. And you know, this is, this is a beautiful truth that we see, is that the scripture reminds us, you know, this too shall pass. Man, sometimes we just need that. Sometimes we just, you know, we're so much in the suffering that we need to re be reminded that this too shall pass. Because it's easy to get overwhelmed and completely crushed. And so like these folks here were stuck on this boat, couldn't rescue themselves, looking for any sign of salvation, seeing none, losing hope, they continued to do things. Do you see that? They weren't just passive. They weren't just like, oh, let's just cry about it. Let's just sit down. Let's just think about all the ways that we're about to die. What were they literally doing? Were their actions so the other side is that we could say, oh, yeah, God's going to save me. Paul could have said, hey, hey, guys, look, look, I got this message for you. God's going to save you. Sit by. Stand by. Don't lift a finger. That's an unhealthy view of the sovereignty or the providence of God. He still, he still calls us to do things, still calls us to respond. So what was their response? They threw down the anchors and, and, and they prayed. But then they said, today's the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food. So they ate. But then what did they do after they ate? Verse 38, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. That seems interesting. <laughs> Let's get rid of all of our food. But first, how long, how long were they waiting? Did you catch that? This is the 14th day. Today is in verse 33. Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. They went for two full weeks on this ride. Could you imagine that? But they did something. They prayed for daylight. They ate. That's good, isn't it? Sometimes in your suffering, you need to eat. And I don't have any super spiritualized message for you for what that means. But, it, but what I do think in part you have to hear is that we have to take steps to take care of ourselves. That may mean you need some rest. That may mean you don't teach Sunday school this Sunday. That's okay. That may mean going and, and, and talking with a friend and pouring your heart out and just getting cared for. I don't know what that means for you. 
But here I see them taking steps to care for themselves, even during the storm. But they also took steps to change their situation, to change their circumstances. Throwing the food over wasn't like, yeah, don't need that anymore. What were they doing? They are trying to lighten the ship. Why would you lighten the ship? More likely that we won't sink. So they were literally taking steps to do something. And this was already after Paul had given them the message. Do you remember that? Verse 23 says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men of faith, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. So they had already been given the message that they're going to be saved from this. But they had to still take practical steps in bringing this plan about. So what I want you to hear is that this is the truth of the gospel as well. That even though we are saved by faith in God, even though it's not dependent upon our works, there is a response that is required. Remember last week he said that he came to the Gentiles so that their eyes may be open, so they may do what? Turn from darkness to light. Turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. That means that there is a response. It's the sovereignty of God, the providence of God that he opens our eyes, but there's a response. There's practical steps to be taken. Just as here that they're about to die and drown at sea, God gave them a message of salvation. There's a response. Do something. Don't just stand and twiddle your thumbs and hope for the best. So I want you to hear that. Pray for day to come. And remember that this too shall pass. But I want to close with our third stop here. The heart of trust. And I love this. Back to verse 23. Remember Paul stood up and he told the crew to take heart. Um, he says, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. What did Paul not do? He did not stand up and tell them, take heart, for I have a great plan. He didn't say that, did he? He did say, take heart, I've been in many storms before, this one ain't nothing. <laughs> Give me them ropes, let me show you something. He doesn't do that. And he didn't say, take heart, men, looks like the storm's letting up. He didn't say that either. He didn't give them false hope. He didn't give them say, like, you know what, guys, looks pretty nice out. Looks like it's letting up. We're going to be okay. In the heat of it, he's able to say, take heart, why? Because he had a word from God that God would save them. So we do the same thing. We don't take heart because we have a good plan. We don't take heart because it looks like things are getting better on their own. We take heart even when there's no visible sign of anything getting better. We take hope because we trust in God alone. That has to be the heart of our trust. And the heart of trust is that, that we take heart and we have faith in God Paul said to him, not a hair will perish from the head of any of you in verse 34. But do you see this? He says to them that they can't do something. If they're truly going to be saved, he says, you can't do something. Um, he says, unless these men stay on this ship, you cannot be saved. Verse 31. Do you see that? We must obey the gospel. Part of salvation, part of true trust is obedience. 
You can't find another way out. And so these guys are saying, you know what? It looks like it might be a good time to get the lifeboat and, and get out of here. And Paul says, unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. And thank God they listened to him. If they would have said, mm, I, don't, I don't like your idea. We're going to get on this boat. We're going to go on our own. If they had done that, they would have been toast, right? Like there was, there was no way they're going to be saved. But they listened, thankfully. But this, this is part of what we have to look at is that part of trust is obedience. Trust isn't just that I believe some facts. Trust requires obedience. God had said, stay on the ship. Don't go looking for any other options. And so this is what we see here. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship and, and let it go, verse 32. And so do, so do we, do we trust God? So I ask, question one, what do you need to be saved from today? Question two, how long have you been praying for salvation? And question three, do we trust God? Do you trust God? Is he sufficient? Is he a sufficient savior or do you have a plan B? Do you have a plan B? Are you saying, man, I hope that you come through, Lord, but if not, don't worry, I'm working on something on the side. We do that in our planning, don't we? Strategically, we need to have contingency plans. Got to have a backup. Well, what happens if that high performer on our team quits? Well, I've been grooming someone else. Their replacement can step in that role with a little bit of time, get them up to speed. We'll be okay. We don't have any single points of failure. Not all of our eggs are in one basket. We do that, and that's wise. But as far as salvation goes, there can be no plan B. There is no plan B. And we have to ask, do I trust God? And is he a sufficient Savior, or do I have plan B somewhere? So this is the gospel, that we cannot save ourselves, and our need of salvation is clear, and we hold to Jesus Christ. Hear this, cutting the ropes of all other forms of salvation. Just as those men cut the ropes of that lifeboat and let it go, that's exactly what we have to do as well. And anything we would look to save us besides Jesus Christ. Stand with me and I want to I wanna close. And I, I, I want us to have this burnt in our brains God's ability to save us does not depend on our ability to save ourselves or our circumstances, but in his power and goodness. I want you, this morning, I want you to identify your lifeboat. I want you to identify your plan B, but I want you to think of yourself on this ship Everything is looking really bad, and you have plan B over here. What is that? I want you to identify your lifeboat. I don't know what it is for you. I can think of some for me. But I want you right now to close your eyes and think through this with me. I want you to come to God right now, asking him for salvation if that is in the truest sense that you need to be saved because you haven't trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, then I do want you to think through that. But for the believers in this room, I want you to picture yourself 
on a ship that's being broken apart. And there right before you is a lifeboat. All you have to do is get in that lifeboat and paddle yourself to safety. But what God has told you is to stay on the ship. Because the only way that you will be saved is if you, if you trust in him. Maybe your lifeboat is called self-righteousness. Maybe that's what's painted right on the side of that lifeboat, self-righteous. And you're tempted to get in that boat and say, I'm pretty good. And since I'm pretty good, I don't need Jesus as much as other people do. Maybe you think, I serve the Lord really well, and instead of self-righteousness on the side of that lifeboat, it's painted good works. And you think that if I do enough good things, if I paddle this boat called good works hard enough, I will put God in my favor. Or maybe you think that your lifeboat sitting before you is actually faithfulness. Picture on the side of that boat painted faithful. And you tell yourself, you know what, I'm pretty faithful. I'm pretty consistent in my walk with the Lord. I can trust in that. I want you to picture that waves just coming over. That salt water hitting you in the face hard. It's freezing cold water. And I want you to picture yourself getting out a knife and cutting that rope, throwing that rope into the angry sea and watching your lifeboat drift away. And you see it off in the distance being smashed by the waves until it capsizes and sinks and you have no trust in it. this morning Father that we are obedient to the gospel that we trust in nothing besides your son Jesus Christ's work on the cross may we worship you this morning by identifying the ways in which we do not trust you May our worship be identifying those things and giving up on them. Praying for you to help us cut those ropes of any plan B. Even if we haven't recognized before this moment, let us recognize the ways in which we may be looking to something else to put our hope in. In Jesus' name. So this morning, I want you to have that thought in your mind and your heart got to pray about that, if you got to confess that as a sin, do it. We're available here this morning, and I want us to worship God by identifying the ways in which we may not trust Him, and praying that He will help us to trust Him. Let's continue to worship. If fear shall come.